I'm Sandra Hayes Buckley and you are listening to the Mind Your Mind podcast, a podcast that delves into what minding your mind means to different people, what self-care looks like in their lives and why minding their minds is so important to them. I hope you enjoy. On this week's episode, I chat to Cathy O'Byrne. Having worked as a primary school teacher for 16 years and having taken a particular interest in childhood mental health, Cathy retrained as a psychotherapist and has worked as a child and adolescent psychotherapist with a specialisation in play therapy. Cathy's work is now focused on supporting parents and all those who are involved in a child system in order to get the best outcomes for children and teenagers. During our chat, we discuss Cathy's passion for supporting and empowering parents to support their children in the best way that they can and her strong belief in the power of play for people of all ages. Welcome, Cathy, to the Mind Your Mind podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me and for the invitation. Lovely to be here. You're so welcome. Thank you for joining me. So for those who are listening who are not familiar with yourself, could you give us an introduction into who you are and what you're all about? Okay, well, I am 45, nearly 46 this year. Um, I'm a mom and a stepmom and a doggy mama. And um, my my background professionally, I would have been a teacher for years, Sandra, a primary teacher, about 16 years. And um, I suppose got very interested in children's mental health based on what I was seeing, you know, showing up in the classroom, lots of anxiety and lots of perfectionism, you know, lots of kids being afraid to try things, you know, things needing to be very black and white, right or wrong. So I I started to research a little bit into, you know, what would be the best ways to support kids. So I came across play therapy and I read a book called Dibs. I don't know if you ever heard of it. No, no, I've never. Fabulous. Yeah, it's it's old. It's by Virginia Axline. And it's all about really how the power of play and non-directive play in particular helped a little man to unlock his world and communicate and I suppose be understood so when I read that I thought okay that's what I want to do so I went and studied first a diploma in play therapy and then I went on and did a master's in um, integrative psychotherapy so kind of creative psychotherapy with children and teens so I was building up my private practice which was called and still is called the Swallows Trail while I was teaching and then it, like anything, do you know, it can be hard to throw all of yourself into one thing and another thing and grow one thing, I suppose, while your job is so consuming. So I decided to take a career break in 2014. I had gotten a job in a specialist therapy center for trauma. So I took my career break and I went out and did that part time and I built my private practice then around the same time. And then I suppose I was working away doing that growing the private practice lockdown came then and it sort of helped me to kind of slow down and assess and reevaluate where I was at and um I think for me it was only then I realized kind of the weight of what I was carrying as a therapist you know the weight of the work and the impact of it on you personally and and professionally and on my family as well, you know, and because it's it's the type of thing, it's like I said, like the teaching, it's very consuming. You know, you put your heart and soul and your back and blood, sweat, tears, all of yeah. it goes in. And I wasn't keeping enough back for me or for my family. So when I got 
the break from it, if you like, because not all my clients could work online. You know, we did training to move to telehealth and um, that worked for some, but not all. Mm-hmm. And I think for me personally, Sandra, you know, when I got to and I loved the work you know, and I still love the work, I light up when I think about it. But when I got to put it down for a while, I wasn't sure if I wanted to pick it all back up again or mm-hmm. if I needed to do things differently. So we had actually moved as well. I'm from Shannon and Clare and I lived there all my life and we relocated as a family to the Limerick Cork border. So I had a commute as well in on top of it that I wasn't used to. (laughs) And that was a, I'm not a morning person. So I found that fairly challenging. And then I was eating, you won't believe what I was doing, but I was eating takeaway on my way home in the car too, you know, so it wasn't, wasn't great. Um, so I went back after the second lockdown and I figured I would maybe allow about nine months to close down my practice with mm-hmm. children for a while. The other reason that that was, I suppose, big in my mind was that my waiting list for private therapy had been closed for about a year and a half. I was full, always full, couldn't meet the demand of what was happening. And I was finding it really, really, really hard, actually, to tell parents there there isn't space. You know, there's like mm-hmm. to offer you space. And then everybody else would have been saying the same thing in the locality. So I really got to start thinking about how can I respond to that need? Because the parenting work would have been a big part of my passion in the work. And I found that the, the children who had, you know, really well-resourced parents, you know, and parents who were supported, you know, with the skills and the understanding that they needed, they tended to really flourish in therapy, really, really thrive. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know what, if I, if I focus or diversify or branch towards that, maybe I can try and meet more of the need in a more immediate way, because it's awful as a parent. And I know this myself, you know, to have to make a call when you're looking for support and it's not readily available or you might have to wait for it it's a very hard call to make and it's a very hard thing to hear so I was kind of winding down my practice um in 2021 and then I got ready then in 2022 to move to kind of full online parent support and I do some training work as well um, I lecture for children's therapy center so I have a nice mix now of of um getting to use my skills and getting to meet people in different ways so that was probably a very long answer <laughs> who are you <laughs> what do you do but um yeah I suppose that's how I got here and I think for me I think parents have so much potential to help their children at home you know they don't always realize it they don't always feel like they can you know but I think there's nobody better to help a child who's struggling than their parents you know once they get the right support um, yeah that's something that came up in episode two myself and Jennifer Davies spoke about the need for more education about mental health and about mm-hmm. just the whole area getting a better understanding and I put a question box up on Instagram and asked followers what they thought you know means of education how they felt education was lacking or where they thought that they, they needed maybe more support and one of the things that actually came up was support for parents yeah um, I, I believe it yeah. yeah 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 so I think what you're doing is very important because you know there's obviously a need for it out there and I know myself as well like I have um two little kids here as well and you know you want to be as supportive as you possibly can Mm -hmm. and you 
you know, as a parent, you will always try your best to fix whatever is going on Mm -hmm. or to help with whatever is going on. And I think having the knowledge and the support of being, you know, able to talk to someone like yourself and get that, that knowledge, the support, the learning, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a really invaluable skill for parents to get, I think. Hopefully. And like anything, Sandra, it's, it's a new enough concept, you know, that idea that you can get support for yourself. Mm -hmm. Parent. I'm hoping that chatting about it might take some of the stigma or the sting out of it because you know it's Mm -hmm. it's interesting that you know people don't always feel they can reach out and say you know I'm finding this really hard like I don't know what else to do do you know whatever is going on for them really and and I think I was thinking about this the other day I think our generation of parents are are up against it in the sense that we know kids need a different approach now. Do you know, we know a lot more about their brains and how they're built and how, you know, important their emotional intelligence is and their emotional well-being. But, you know, we mightn't have gotten that ourselves as parents, not through anybody's fault, but just that it mightn't have been as well known. So we're trying to do something that we mightn't have gotten ourselves. Uh, and kids' feelings can be pretty big. They can be very intense. It can be pretty confronting sometimes and they can be very dysregulating for parents. So, you know, it's we know we want to do things differently, but we might not know how or we might not know why we why it's important that we do. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of people are feeling like they can't be honest about how hard parenting is. You know, I've often said it was way easier when I was only doing it in my head. Like I had (laughs) 30 36 kids in school excuse me and I thought I would be like Mary Poppins you know I'd be going around all singing all dancing having the crack and I'd be home two minutes and I'd be like oh my god why is this so hard you know and Mm. I wasn't prepared for how much of a shock to the system it was going to be I remember the year I I one year when I had junior infants my son was in junior infants I was using like every inch of patience I had during the day which wasn't okay I had none left when I'd come home yeah. You know, I'd leave school and I could um, I had a choice, you know, I could turn right and be home in 15 minutes or I could turn left and it would take me 40. And I needed to go left most mm. days because I just couldn't make the shift, you know, from from work to parenting, which is full on. But, mm. you know, we're starting to become more honest, I think, I hope about how hard it is. You know, people do feel a pressure to mask it and you know, let on that it's going better than it is or it's not as hard or, you know, that whole Instagram versus reality phenomenon, you know, that people are feeling like, yeah, they have to project these images of perfection and, Mm. you know, the idealist side of it. Um, But yeah, I'm kind of hoping that if people become aware that it is there as a support, that if they ever did feel like they needed it, that they'd be open to trying it out maybe or finding out a bit more about it does that make sense yeah absolutely and I think you touched on it there there is that real kind of I suppose it's a generational knowledge gap that we are we've found ourselves in we have all this new knowledge at our disposal about you know, mental health and about how how things work inside in our brains and how the you know the mind works and all the rest of it but we don't have the knowledge as to how to implement it because mm-hmm. that, it didn't exist before. No, and we don't have an embodied 
sense of it either. You know, mm-hmm. I often say to parents, like, our kids are going to be so much better than kids <laughs> when their time comes because they have gotten it from us. We're trying to do it, you know, on the fly. And look, maybe there were things that our parents were trying to deal with on the fly. You know, I'd say that maybe that happens for every generation, but I think we are more aware now. And it is a gap, like you say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I suppose then, like, there is this kind of, I suppose there's the societal differences that exist because of that generational gap as well. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of trying to navigate that because obviously the previous generation would have had their way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, we're kind of forging the way and how to, you know, move forward and we, you know, using the supports that are available and all the rest of it. But because there are these differences, there's mm-hmm. obviously that's where a lot of the stigma comes from because there are you know there's a whole generation of people who wouldn't have had the knowledge that the I suppose the understanding that is now appearing for you know for, we'll say for parents in particular mm-hmm. and I suppose there is that that level of stigma as well I know you were talking about the the stigma of not talking mm-hmm. and our, and I suppose that's part of why it exists as well yeah yeah that's it it's the classic uh, brush it under the carpet kind of thing or the elephant in the room, you know, mm. just don't talk about it and it will go away. But that's not how that works. Those things get bigger when yeah. we don't talk about them and more intense. And I suppose even within that, you know, there are so many different viewpoints and philosophies and ideologies now around parenting and everybody has an opinion about it. And, you know, I think parents now are nearly saturated with, a lot of stuff you know mm-hmm. that they're trying to wade through and see like does that line up with my own value system even if they're aware you know that mm-hmm. they need to find something that lines or, or aligns with their value system and you know we're so sensitive I think as parents to want to be doing it right you know and we get easily tipped into am I getting it right am I doing it wrong and you know the guilt and things that can come with that so there's there's can be such a thing as too much information as well and that can kind of pull you away from your own gut instinct and your own inner knowing and your in intuition I suppose when it comes to your own child and um, mm. I think you know it's probably never been a harder time to be a parent there's so much out there how do you even figure it out like do you know whereas yeah. before it was kind of a mm. yeah. what it was like, yeah especially in the you know the social media age as well like all you do is open Instagram and especially I, I think I found this particularly kind of magnified when I became a parent because like I suppose I became a parent in that social media air mm-hmm. age and suddenly all the ads and suggested posts that were appearing on my Instagram were to do with baby products and parenting and mm-hmm. you know what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing and what you know this that, oh, that and should. <laughs> and, yeah exactly and then then you know you kind of can very easily get sucked into comparison oh. comparison is the thief of joy and all the rest of it of like oh they're doing that so should I do that you know and all these things and I think what you said there is about the too much information it can it can really become like it can become overwhelming because very- and because, paralyzing not even just overwhelming paralyzing you know you yeah. just don't know what to do yeah exactly yeah so I think having the support from yourself and others is very very helpful because at least you know it's kind of you're talking as well to a person it's mm-hmm. not 
I suppose you're not at Dr. Google um, <laughs> trying to figure things out because that could, it can be because there's so much and there's so many differing opinions and there's so many, you know, like you should do this, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. You know, you should, I don't know, do whatever. And right on from the shoulds. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's just, it's so, because it's so conflicting then as well, yeah. because what one person says you should do, the other person says you shouldn't do. And then how do you decide what's actually you know of use to you because obviously there's a bias with everything um so I think when you can actually talk to a person Mm -hmm. and be in you know in contact with a person who has qualifications and who will listen to you Mm -hmm. and not just you know bang it out of a machine um and no one size fits all for this exactly that's exactly it because that's the thing when you google something it's not going to be tailor-made for your child your situation exactly or even your capacity as a parent yeah exactly realistically manage with Mm -hmm. whatever else you have going on and and what's on your plate yeah yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. and I suppose you're helping all these parents and why is it important to you personally but also from for like I suppose you're helping these parents and that's what you really want you know you learned that you wanted to lean into this why is it important to look after them and you talked about kind of from a mental capacity point of view why is it important for you to look after your own mental well-being and why is it important for you to help others um you know I suppose in doing that minding their own well-being and that sort of thing as well this was I have to mind me to be well in my work Mm -hmm. Um, and I love my work, you know, and I've always loved every job I've, I've ever done, really. But I have to mind me and my mental health and my well-being to be able to do what I love to do. And I came across this uh, saying lately, Karen Treesman shared it. It was from a Kenyan project. Well-being leads to well-doing. Um, and I loved it. So... It's important and it always has been important to for me to mind myself to be well in the work. And I suppose that was kind of embedded into the training we had as psychotherapists. So we we attended a, a minimum of 30 years of personal therapy for every year that we trained to be therapists. So, you know, you have to be minding your own mental health to be to be in the work we would have had group process lots of self-development work so I suppose that was bedded in early and that's Mm -hmm. something I've always continued um to do for myself the reason I think it's important for for me to communicate that to the parents is that I really believe that no matter what you learn or what you try to do or how you try to say it you know all these kind of new ways we're learning to communicate Mm -hmm. with children if you're not okay when you're trying to say it it's not going to work and that's going to be really really frustrating so Mm -hmm. because I often talk to parents about their support systems what they do to mind themselves you know how they fill up their cups what they do to rejuvenate what they do to play and have joy and and sometimes they're they'd be saying I don't have time (laughs) for that but I suppose you know if you want to be well you have to be able to mind yourself and our children lean on us a lot mm-hmm. or and they need us a lot for their regulation needs you know they can't for the most part regulate big stuff by themselves it's not a realistic expectation to expect kids actually to self-regulate they need to do what we call co-regulate so they need to be able to draw 
from the parents regulation and CAM in order to be well. And that's a need like we all have across our whole lifespan. If you think about it, you know, when anything big happens for any of us, we generally don't work it out on our own. We go to somebody we love and we trust. So, you know, if they need us for that, it's really important that we're minding ourselves. And I think parents are selfless a lot of the time. You know, they put themselves way, 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 way down on the bottom of the list and they keep pushing and pushing and pushing through often you know to the point where their health might suffer or their mental health might suffer so I suppose yeah to me that that sense of minding yourself and I think modeling that for your kids is really important as well you know that we are separate beings (laughs) and we have a life outside of you know because I think it can become such a consuming part of your identity as well and you know it's good for kids to see that we have our own interests and we go off and we make our own fun and we do things that that fill us up again Mm -hmm. but I suppose if you're not doing that you're operating on limited and reduced capacity all the time you know it's like driving your car around with the red light on the whole time you know you'd be driving around on fumes and but I think you know and I say this to parents like no matter what you learn and no matter what you figure out and no matter what you want to change about how you're communicating or how you're helping your child, if you're not feeling OK when you're trying to, um, it's not going to have the impact you want. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? It's just yeah, so absolutely. Us, you know, as parents. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something I suppose I've, I talked about um, my own story in episode one and um, I found everything difficult to be honest when I was suffering with my mental health everything but it's so hard to give yourself to the situations that you need to give yourself to when you're in that mind space so I suppose preventing things from getting to that point or you know putting things in place that will help you to maybe not get to the stage of burnout or breakdown or or whatever it may be you know it's it's of vital importance I suppose in my case I had things in place but it was there was kind of extra things happened more changes in my life and and, yeah yeah, and it kind of just got to the stage of you know things kind of fell apart inside my inside my mind Mm -hmm. and it is very very difficult then Mm -hmm. to parent and to you know everything everything becomes such a hard job hard job and the thing is that it's it's relentless like the demands of it don't ease up on a day when you're not having a good day or not feeling capable and that's a real put your own oxygen mask on first situation Mm -hmm. sometimes the parents needs um and mental health needs have to come first before they're going to be able to help their child you know and some parents want the help for children first but you know it's so important to help them to see that actually no you need need Mm -hmm. to get what you need first for yourself and I often think that, you know, safety advice on the airplane is so counterintuitive, like put your own mask on first. You know, I've never been in this situation, you know, but I always thought I would put my child's mask on first. But if you stop and think about that, yeah, you know, if you if you took used your energy to do that, you could end up in big trouble yourself. Whereas taking the sec- couple of seconds to put yours on is going to give you what you need so you can do the other bit. And, you know, I think that. Yeah, for parents to to not not struggle, you know, and to reach out and to talk to somebody they trust and somebody they feel they can be honest with, because I think that's 
important. You know, we all need a couple of friends that we can just say, lads, my head is melted from this parenting gig. You know, just where we don't feel like we have to pretend um, or feel like we're getting it all right all the time. And you're right. It is hard. Like the smallest things can feel hard when you're struggling yourself. Mm. Yeah. And I think myself and Kira Belviso spoke about this on episode six, um, actually about how it's such a massive shift when you become a parent that like, you know, your life was like this beforehand Mm -hmm. and now it is entirely different. Mm -hmm. All of it, like overnight, it is entirely different, not in a bad way necessarily, you know, it's just different. Mm -hmm. And there's there's actually so much preparation for pregnancy and for the baby arriving, but there's mm-hmm. nothing for like after, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, there's very little for kind of after what happens once the baby is here and mm-hmm. you have to look after it <laughs> and, you know, that sort of thing. And it's a massive, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Ta- no, I was just saying it's a massive t- task to, you know, because you're changing, it changes who you are and the way you live your life. Fundamentally, and, you're never the same again absolutely and you know if you don't look after yourself it can become very overwhelming Mm. as well in that whole process and I think it's an ongoing thing then as well you have to look after yourself because I suppose and this is something I said in one of the other episodes as well if you don't show yourself compassion Mm. you you can't you don't won't have the capability to show everybody else compassion as well or if you're kind of doing everything for everybody else Mm. you're not looking after yourself in that and then it becomes you know this kind of vicious cycle of like you're nearly being you're nearly having to try to be overly compassionate to everybody else because you know what I can't do that for myself but like you have to you have to look after yourself because at the end of the day nobody else knows if you're struggling you have to be the one to say I need to step away I need to do you know go for a walk or I need to go to the doctor if you need to go to see a doctor or counseling or whatever it is you have to look after yourself because no one will know if you're struggling unless you say it and as well as that like it's very easy to get in a spiral of overwhelm as well it is and I know that I'm a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> and I I met a level of neurotic I didn't even know I had in me when I had my first, my son, Jack. I was so hell-bent on what should this look like? What does this, you know, I nearly drove myself around the bend with anxiety. I, oh, God. And I didn't know about self-compassion at the time. I would have been able to give it to everybody else, but not to me, because I had a different level of expectation of myself, you know, and I was quite hard on myself at the time. And um, Jesus, like I spent every Saturday pureeing papayas and things. I didn't even know what they were because I thought that's what this looks like. That's what you do. And, you know, I, I was so worried, like, was I doing enough? Was I getting it right? Um, and yeah, I suppose I hadn't learned to trust myself yet. Um, but it's a huge, it feels it, to me and it, it probably does to lots. It felt like such a huge responsibility, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and you want to know if you're doing okay and want to know that you're getting it right. But 
uh, social media wasn't there. Thank God. When I was a new, a new mom, he's 19 now. I, I think it could have sent me <laughs> under, you know, with the whole comparison thing. Um, I was doing enough of that now by myself. But yeah, hard going. And yeah, I would have I would have loved to have known about self-compassion when I was a young mom. You know, I was really good at giving it to other people, but I didn't. I wasn't able to be gentle on myself with the expectations I had. You know, I, they were much higher for me than anybody else, which is really unfair, I think. Mm, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't fair on me, you know. Yeah. And like that inner critic, once it gets in there, um, yeah. you know, the ne- the negativity can, it can be so disheartening and so demoralizing and mm. ups- and just upsetting. And it just gets you in your core. That like I'm not doing a good enough job. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And you, and like that, you can't be compassionate to yourself if you're beating yourself up from the inside. It took me the longest time. Or if I was snappy or irritable or short tempered, I'd give myself such a hard time over it, rather than being able to say, "Look, I'm human. Tired. I haven't slept. You know, tomorrow is a new day. You know." So yeah, it's just that that in itself is the greatest gift anybody can can learn to give themselves. You know, and. Um, and if you've got any bit of a good girl or a perfectionist in you, that's, that's another layer of wrestling with it. Um, but yeah, eventually, eventually it does become louder, hopefully louder and softer and gentler than the, the critic. But yeah, I remember even my son was four, I'd say, he was doing his homework and I had this awfully um, sort of distorted you know he's a teacher's child now so he has to be perfect and everything has to be perfect has to look perfect and I remember coming home one day and he was working on his letters and he's left-handed and I'm right so I I don't even know how he was doing what he was doing but I kept saying no 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 do it again rub it out rub it out rub it out and again it was me it was me being you know a douche (laughs) like it was just me thinking you know oh they're going to look at that now and think you know it was complete ego stuff and he looked up at me and he has big blue eyes and he said to me mom you need to chill out about these letters and I was like you know what kid you are so right it was the best thing he ever said to me and after that I, I he he used to be at my mom's after school I'd be saying to him mom will you just do his homework because I don't want to be coming home from school and fighting with him about letters and homework so you know just but I'll never forget him looking up and going you need to chill out about these letters and I was, there's nothing like nobody like your own child to just yeah. give it to you straight. Yeah. <laughs> but he was right. And it was my stuff. Do you know, it was my stuff. What he was doing was perfectly okay. And and it was then I realized I don't want to pass this on to him. So I have to kind of work on it and mm. you know, learn to accept good enough is good enough, you know. And you'd say yeah. it, like you'd say the words, but you wouldn't always mean it or give yourself permission to mean it, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> Um, so I laugh at some of the stuff um but again I think that your your child is sent to you to teach you whatever it is you need to learn about yourself and whatever it is you need to to work on absolutely and I suppose then what do you what is it that you do to look after yourself kind of on a regular basis what does self-care look like to you or what is it that you tap into in if you are particularly struggling um, how do you mind your own mental well-being? I was thinking about this before coming on to talk to you today, and I actually sucked at self-care for the longest time. 
Do you know Maslow's pyramid, Sandra? Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So the bottom part of that pyramid is your basic kind of physio- physiological needs. And then as you go up, it's your safety and security, your esteem, your love and belonging. So I was like deadly at all the upper stuff. Like I really was tuned into my psychological self-care, my emotional self-care. I was good at the boundaries, very mindful of my energy and mind in myself. I was really, really, really bad at the bottom there. So my my mine actually, because this image came into my mind, mine was like a Christmas tree. It was all sitting on this tiny little stalk. I wouldn't have been sleeping well, desperate for not drinking water, would skip meals. I was eating takeaways in the car on the way home and being ill. Um, I would have had IBS going on, digestive stuff. Um, and I I would be like, and I would be able to do the work I was doing quite well but I would get depleted. So for me, self-care has meant rightly going back to basics and doing the things that, on top of the things that I was already doing. Mm-hmm. So big ones for me are food. You know, I'm vegan and gluten-free and I live with pure carnivores now, I tell you. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't make myself something good to eat. I just have a bit of whatever, you know, so I I started once I had more time cooking proper nutritious meals for me. I wasn't getting enough protein. Um, and then I would be like loading the carbs, but burning through them. So I wasn't kind of satisfied. So I learned to cook food actually that I like to eat and that sustains me. I really had to start getting to grips with sleep. I was, I'm a pure night owl. I have all my best ideas at three o'clock in the morning. I wish they'd come at a more sociable hour. but. I I have started in the last probably year or a bit more turning off my phone in the evening. I don't bring it into my bedroom anymore. I turn it off when I'm off work. I turn it off for two weeks in the summer just so that I get headspace. That would be a really big one for me. Um, yeah, social needs, seeing my friends, having a laugh, having the crack. And then play would be a big one for me. A lot of my self-care would be sensory. Mm-hmm. So... I would use kind of aromatherapy stuff, you know, just to bring up my energy if I'm the tired or bring it down, sit high. Um, you were you saw me blowing bubbles at the start yeah. of the session. Um, I'd be out in nature all the time, playing with the dogs. My husband made me a swing for the garden a few weeks ago. I'm out in that yeah. morning, noon, and night. I I really don't think grown ups play enough. Um, so for me play would be quite sensory like cooking gardening arranging flowers I love cooking so that's my de-stressor I kind of batch cook now so that I'm organized and I'm not grabbing things here and there but I was thinking about this for the longest time because I I was doing all the upper stuff but I wasn't looking after the basics um and for me sleep is a big one like if I don't sleep I really have to take it handy the next day Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I do, Sandra, is I'm really mindful of how I um, block my time in my work. So I leave breaks after my work. If I've been teaching at the weekend, I I generally don't work the Monday and sometimes not the Tuesday. You know, so I'm just mindful of what things take out of me and what I need to like pay back <laughs> to the bank. Um, and the other thing that I have really worked hard on, I was actually chatting to my husband about this this morning, that I found 
the idea of rest very triggering for the longest time. Do you know, if I saw somebody sitting down, you know, watching soccer or playing their Xbox for an hour, I used to get like quite activated by it. Mm. And I'd be saying things like, it's well for you, you know, all the classic kind of. And then I dug into that a bit and that that turned out to be envy for me, you know, that I'd love to be able to do that. And I, I didn't know how to for the longest time. So my husband has been constantly telling me, you know, it's like it has to be OK to sit and do nothing if that's what you want to do. So I've been on a journey with that now in the last few years. And it's only now like that I am OK. with. And I had a day like that yesterday. I was just flaked. So I did nothing. Very, very little. Um. And feel no guilt about it whatsoever, that it's what I needed to do. And I feel better for doing it today. So I really had to go back to basics. Um, and I really had to because I'm not playing with kids as much anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was like, shit, I missed that because I didn't realize I was getting as much out of it. So I'm like, well, there's no reason I can't play. So I uh, my office is full of stuff, actually, that's for playing. Um but I don't I don't think we play enough. Um, I think we have to be really careful what we consume. Um, I really restrict the social media where I can. And then the other thing that I do a lot for self-care, Sandra, is um, I have various people I go to, you know, for, for mental health support and for body work and energy work and gentle release work. So I find it really helpful to work that stuff out through the body. Mm-hmm. and through doing things creatively so I like I'll journal or I'll make something with clay you know I find that gets me to the core of what I need to get to and mm-hmm. um, if I can do it creatively it it's just kind of jumps back at me and then I know what I'm looking at or what I'm hoping to work with does that make sense absolutely to me it makes perfect sense <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and I think like what you said there about play is you know we we don't put enough emphasis on having fun yeah you know there's so much emphasis on work and getting Mm -hmm. stuff done and you know things should look like this and we should be you know again those shoulds of you know that you should be working all the time or you shouldn't you know and Mm -hmm. actually making time for fun is like it's re-energizing well, it gets all the good stuff going around in your brain, all the good chemicals you want in there. All the work is putting cortisol and adrenaline and all the stuff that's harder to get anything done. Whereas anything that's joyful or playful or novel gets all the good stuff going around. So there's a load of science to back this up. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think we play enough. And then kids want us to play with them. And, you know, sometimes parents feel you know, they'll say things like after I do this or I have to do that first, you know, whereas they don't always realize that being able to drop things for a moment and just meet the child, meet your child in their world and play. It's going to fill up your cup, too. It's going to fill up the connection and the strength of the connection that will help them with cooperation and getting the, you know, the more getting out in the morning jobs done. Um, But it's just such a pity we we don't feel like we can <laughs> just take a couple of minutes um for ourselves you know just do something fun yeah yeah and I think we could all do it a bit more fun in our lives yeah yeah I tell you now when I got that swing I was like a 10 year old right and I'm out in it and I was laughing there so I'd be out in this now when I'm 90 I don't I've always wanted a tree swing 
I am delighted. And I'm out in the morning. I'm out. I was out there at lunchtime. I'll be out in the evening. I just, I don't know. I think there's just something about the movement and the, the birds and the trees. Um, yeah. But just years ago now, I would have been like, oh, I can't. But it's just, yeah, just trying to find ways that and connect with, you know, try and think about what was fun for you when you were a bit younger what did you love doing and um you know there might be a few clues there about your way back to having it but yeah we need we need it do you know it's important absolutely and that's such a lovely note for us to finish up our chat today on we could all do a bit more fun so I hope that anyone who's listening will go off and do something fun now um for themselves today so thank you so much for joining me, Kathy, on the Mind Your Mind podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And listen, the best to look with this. This is fantastic that you're doing this. And I wish you all the best in the future of it. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thanks, Sandra. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Mind Your Mind podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, rate, review or follow. It really does help with getting the podcast out there. You can follow us on Instagram at MindYourMindPod for extra content and some behind-the-scenes action. Talk to you next week, and in the meantime, don't forget to mind your mind.